I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Some of you know that a month ago I had surgery on my vocal cords. What had happened for the last 40 years, I've overused them. And they were just about worn out. And so the surgeon did a rehab job on my, still a little raspy, but we're coming right along. And um, uh, she basically, well, I can explain it this way. You know how if you rehab a tire, you can get an extra 10,000 miles. She did a, a rehab. She did a, on, my, on my vocals. She would not explain it that way. I'm sure she would disagree, but that's basically what happened. Now, I had hoped that the surgery would give me a better singing voice. <laughs> but she said that was far above her pay grade. And I want to thank you <clears throat> for the many signs of uh, love and support the cards you've sent me, the prayers over the past month. I'm so grateful. And where I usually sit over here at the beginning of the service, one of you keeps placing packages of golf balls over there. <laughs> and uh, I want you to know I appreciate that tremendously. The scripture today comes from John 18 and, and one verse from John chapter 17. But first, John 18, beginning with the 33rd verse, and if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priest handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a, a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. And then from the previous chapter, chapter 17, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying for us. And verse 17 is part of that prayer. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> the most famous cake baker in America, Jack Phillips of Lakewood, Colorado, 
is being sued again. He won the first lawsuit, but now his opponents, his enemies are coming after him again. Jack Phillips is a Christian. He sees himself as an artist. He creates cakes for special occasions. But he refuses to celebrate anything that the Bible forbids. Now his opponents claim that if you operate a business in America, the customer's desires take precedence over the religious beliefs of a merchant. But underneath that disagreement is a more basic question. Is there any source of truth greater than man-made laws? Jack Phillips believes there is. He sees the Bible as absolutely binding on him as a Christian. The majority of Americans disagree with Jack Phillips. According to surveys, 72% of Americans do not believe there is any such thing as absolute truth. Doesn't exist. They believe that everybody's version of the truth is like their toothbrush, personal and different. They believe that the Declaration of Independence guarantees Americans four rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and your version of the truth. So you see, the question, what is truth, is not some esoteric philosophical debate for PhDs at the university. That, that is the very question that is fueling the culture wars in America today. This is the very issue that has already divided most of America's religious denominations. And our own United Methodist Church may divide within the next 18 months over this issue. Now the newspapers will tell you that the basic disagreement is about sexuality, sexual morality in general, and homosexuality in particular. That is not the central issue. The central issue is whether this book is completely true or not. Or to be more specific, is this Bible God-inspired and therefore completely and eternally true? Or is this just a, an ancient, revered book that needs a whole lot of updating, amendment, and revision? In other words, it's a question about truth. And as the late great preacher Adrian Rogers used to say, it is better to be divided by truth than united in error. Our scripture today, John 18, is all about truth. Let me remind you of the setting. <clears throat> On a Thursday night, Jewish leaders and their armed guards arrested Jesus. He was taken to the home of the high priest. And all night long, he was harassed, slapped around, interrogated, ridiculed. Early the next morning, they took Jesus to the Praetorium, which is a remodeled castle the headquarters of Pontius Pilate. The Jewish leaders brought Jesus to Pilate because he was the only one who had the power to impose a death penalty. Pilate did not want to have this man executed. But even more, he wanted to keep peace with the Jewish leaders. 
Pilate already had a few negative reports in his file back in Rome. And he knew that one more negative report just might cost him his career. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He was wondering if Jesus was part of some conspiracy. Is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did someone tell you that? Pilate probably cursed at this point because he was amazed. Here is this guy that he expected to be on his knees begging for mercy and instead has the gall to question him. Jesus wanted to know if there was a glimmer of faith in Pontius Pilate. Isn't that amazing? Jesus cared about the salvation even of the man who was about to execute him. Jesus went on to explain, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would fight for me. My kingdom is of another realm. But you are a king, Pilate asked. Yes, said Jesus, I am a king. And I came into the world to testify to the truth. With cynical disgust, Pilate snorted, what is truth? Because you see, Pilate believed that truth was whatever Caesar said it was. Because Caesar had the legions, the military, to back it up. According to Pilate, truth without power is nothing. But Jesus declared that truth is ordained by God. It is not subject to popular vote. It is eternal and unchanging. God's word, the Bible, doesn't talk about shades of truth, degrees of truth, versions of truth. No, it just talks about the truth. And in fact, truth was in Jesus' purpose statement. He said, I came into the world to testify to the truth. If you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the only person in history who claimed to personify truth. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus added, there's one other source of absolute truth, and that is God's holy word, the Bible. And on the night before Jesus gave his life for us, he prayed for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed for us by saying this, sanctify them by the truth. And then Jesus defined the truth. He said, your word is truth. There's no other book on earth like this Bible. It is different because the scripture never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Millions of people over thousands of years have proved by experience that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Even after 2,000 years, no expert in any field has ever disproved a single statement in this holy book. But that should not surprise us because all scripture is God-breathed or God-inspired. Now we Christians claim that Jesus Christ and the Holy Bible constitute absolute truth. Let me share three glorious facts about the truth. And each one begins with the letter C, 
so it ought to be easy to remember. First, the truth is comforting. And goodness knows we need that comfort desperately right now because so much of the world's news is so bad. I mean, if you get your news primarily from TV and Twitter and Facebook and newspaper, you've got reason to be depressed. But we have a glorious overlay that triumphs over the news of the world. We have the truth of God. Oh, the, the, the truth is so comforting. St. Paul, for example, gave us this marvelous assurance. Nothing in life or in death will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a comfort. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. COVID-19 cannot. Neither can cancer or Alzheimer's or any other disease. And even if, God forbid, America were to become socialist and we were to lose some of our liberties, even then, even that could not separate us from the love of God. Here's another comforting truth. We know how world history is going to end. The Bible gives us a preview of the final act. Jesus said that all the nations of the earth will see the Son of Man, Jesus, coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And then said St. Paul, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means, folks, that at the end of history, no army or race or nation is going to claim victory. The victory will belong to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, is that good news or what? Surely it is. Furthermore, it is not just for this life that the truth is comforting. In almost every funeral I conduct, I read these words by Jesus. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. This means that every one of us who has claimed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, one day when we approach the gates of eternity, the keeper of the gate will see some sign on us indicating that we belong to Christ. And he will say to us, welcome home. And if that truth brings you comfort, say amen. The second fact about God's truth, it's contagious. It, it has a, a powerful magnetic attraction. Even the worst pagan on earth has a God-shaped hole in his soul, though he may vehemently deny it. And when the truth of God makes contact with a person, there's spiritual electricity caused by the Holy Spirit. One of the most precious promises in all of Scripture is Isaiah 55. God promises that my word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This means that every single word or deed about Jesus that you share with anybody will have an impact. You may not see it, but it will have an impact. Not a word 
is wasted. You don't have to be eloquent or even a Bible expert. The Holy Spirit brings the power to the transaction. The Holy Spirit makes your words and deeds contagious. Just a few weeks ago, Easter weekend, neighbor of mine uh, placed a, an Easter cross in his front yard. And uh, it was surrounded by wire and inserted in the wire were several beautiful white blossoms. And right beside it was a sign which read, Easter cross, come by on Easter and add a flower. Help us celebrate that Jesus is risen. Well, a whole lot of folks came by. And by the end of Easter day, that, that Easter cross was covered with flowers of every color of the rainbow. Now, I know that even in my neighborhood, there are some non-believers. And they saw that cross too. I guarantee you it had an impact. I guarantee you that some of them thought, you know, if it's possible that Jesus did arise from the dead and is alive now, I may ought to inv investigate that matter further because it could have an impact on my life. I guarantee that. And why am I so sure? Because the Holy Spirit never allows a single word or deed on behalf of the truth to be wasted. The truth is contagious. And that brings me to the third fact about the truth. It is controversial. If you dare to go public in defense of biblical truth, you will be criticized. This is a secular culture. If you dare to defend unborn babies or the biblical definition of marriage, some people will call you narrow-minded or a bigot. Over 50 years ago, Martin Luther King taught us to evaluate people not on the basis of their skin color, but on the content of their character. It is so sadly ironic that if you take that stand today, some people will call you a racist. How very sad and what a betrayal of the heritage of Dr. King. The coming years are likely to be tough for Christians in America. Jesus predicted it. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Back in 1943, George Orwell wrote this, the further a society drifts away from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. Currently, there are attempts being made to shame or silence or censor or cancel some Christians by way of social media. And some efforts are even made to stop their employment. If you step out on behalf of Christ, there could be repercussions, even in the land of the free and the home of the brave. I praise God for the courage of the Reverend Franklin Graham, son of, of the great Billy Graham. You know that he has these spots on television, brief but succinct presentations of the gospel, inviting people to respond. 
Thankfully, his organization, Samaritan's Purse, has raised enough money to pay for those ads. Folks, if he had to depend on sponsors to pay for those ads, the critics would put pressure on those sponsors to try to cancel Franklin Graham. In order to avoid criticism, there are some Christians who've gone underground. There are some Christians who have been silenced, sad to say. But the Christian who will not stand up for the truth of Holy Scripture is a coward. And that kind of cowardice could invite God's judgment. Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. The Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. Here is God's challenge for us, folks. Here it is. We must stand firmly for the truth while caring sincerely for those who oppose the truth. We must anchor ourselves to the Bible while being respectful toward those who distort or despise the Bible. When we are treated hatefully, we must never hate back. We must learn the art of disagreeing without being disagreeable. We must learn to converse without arguing, remembering that even the person who curses Almighty God is loved by our Heavenly Father. What a challenge. And in our own strength, I don't think we can do that. But the Holy Spirit will equip and support and guide us. If someone asks you, why do you believe this or that? And you say, because the Bible says so. That is sufficient answer. Now you could add, I believe that the Bible was inspired by God and God is always truthful. Now, your critics may still oppose and criticize you, but you see, their argument will be with the Bible, not just with you. Years before the nation of India got its freedom from Great Britain, the author William Shirer interviewed the great Indian statesman Gandhi. And Gandhi said to him, you will see, my dear Mr. Shira, Shira, that we shall gain our freedom within my lifetime. Shira responded, uh, Sir, remember the British have lots more guns. Gandhi responded, Yes, but we have something much more important than guns. We have truth on our side. So do we, brothers and sisters, so do we. When we stand on the truth of Jesus Christ and the Holy Bible, we are on solid ground. And if we refuse to back away or back down, God will be glorified and his kingdom will be advanced. And one day God Almighty will say to us, well done, you good and faithful servant. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.
Gracious God, you have called us to be faithful disciples in the midst of a secular culture. We want to be bold for the truth, but not intimidating. We want to be fearless, but also winsome. Above all, don't let us be cowards, silenced by those who despise your truth. In the midst of this confused and divided culture, give us courage and grace. You have revealed the truth to us. Now make us spreaders of your truth for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen.